Welcome to Lean Back. I'm Laura. And I'm Lisa. And today we're talking about sabotage. So Lisa, I thought a good place to start would be for us to talk about this political moment. I feel like a lot of our peers look at the upcoming midterm elections or the events that have unfolded over the last couple of years and think like, why did we get here? How did we get here? And I think sabotage has a lot to do with that. And so I wonder how you think about how sabotage is kind of like entered into our political reality and how it's created like a lot of the friction that we see now. The shortest answer is that this historical moment is about sabotaging the gains of the social movements of the 60s. And so Reagan took up the torch on that fight in his 76 presidential campaign. And then once he won in 1980, the framework to like kill the 60s is what has been the predominant frame of the GOP with very few exceptions. So I think that the modern moment is fundamentally about the GOP defining itself as sabotaging the political successes of the 60s. And it's also about now about sabotaging democracy. I think it's worth reading Trump as a saboteur, as somebody who entered the political system as an agent of chaotic evil, quite frankly, to destroy as much as possible, whether that was through dismantling the civil service or dismantling the judiciary or ending political accountability for the executive or building an alt reality for a political minority in the United States. These, you know, radical right conservatives that want to destroy liberty and freedom. So I think it's worth reading the moment as through the lens of sabotage for sure. And I mean, that's just like from the political side, but we're also watching the revocation of voting rights and voter suppression. And I think it's really impossible to not look at that and see it as a massive act of intentional sabotage, particularly in communities of color and in rural America. It's kind of grotesque the way that things are being framed as pro-American that fundamentally reduce your voting rights. So they're like, what's being said outwardly is actively being worked against, like with the policies. So like the subterfuge, I would say is like what's hard to grasp about how Trump has used sabotage politically and his party. But he's not alone in that. But there's a difference, right? Because the right never gets cast in the light of its most extreme saboteurs, whereas any leftist on the left side gets cast as the center of the whole liberal democratic project. So I'm just thinking about like all of the complaints about Bernie Sanders, like he's the perpetual spoiler in the imagination as though he is fundamentally sabotaging. And that's equivalent to like what Trump or the modern GOP is doing. And obviously it's a false equivalency, but it is fundamentally a thing where the right does not get cast in terms of its most extreme elements, even though those have become the party. And God forbid there's a leftist who says a class thing or who produces or circulates memes about wealth or power that are useful in restructuring opinion about how business should be done. And then that's the entire Democratic Party. And I think that framework is aided and abetted by legacy media. So, I mean, you've heard me say this a million times here and 
elsewhere that we are in a massive crisis in terms of the media ecology. In Arkansas, Walter Hussman has announced that he's retiring as editor of the Democrat Gazette, which is our only statewide paper, after like obviously all of his shit blew up at UNC Chapel Hill over Nicole Hannah-Jones. And so, you know, I'm ready for him to move out of the media ecology here, but it'll be very interesting to see who takes his place. And in some ways that corporatization of legacy media and obviously the Fox News polarization is a problem. It's also interesting. I've been thinking a lot about how Fox News doesn't pay well anything and all of the sources of like liberal slash lefty journalism do and about how that democratizes QAnon conspiracy bullshit and sabotages democracy while the left is trying to build careers, sometimes on good journalism and sometimes, you know, through subscription. So I think that there are a lot of incentives to sabotage right now. It's really striking now seeing a lot of political discourse and like a lot of candidates who are extreme and a lot of voters are just like, well, like I'm voting for this candidate because of the economy. There are a lot of blanket assumptions that people make about the Republican Party being better for the economy. And I mean, they use that to their advantage, right? Sure, but it's garbage. The Fed's like, we're going to manipulate interest rates to influence the election. And everybody's like, well, I think the GOP does a really good job of managing money. It is the most vacuous conversation, the conversation about inflation. As somebody who works in politics, I find it just it makes me want to tear my hair out. But you're right that capitalism itself sabotages freedom and the profit motive, right, for producing and circulating Trump's form of sabotage as it's infected the GOP is what is driving clicks and subscriptions and, right, all of this alt-right nonsense. But it's, but it's also inseparable from coups and insurrections, which are fundamental forms of sabotage to participatory democracy. This week, we saw, you know, this QAnon supporter break into Nancy Pelosi's house and bludgeon her husband. And it's that didn't even make it above the fold in the New York Times, right? Because they're rooting for the most powerful woman in American politics to be bludgeoned by QAnon supporters. Like, what the fuck? It's completely predictable and it's also completely exhausting that we're in this nihilistic death cult, right, that is eating itself alive through its grotesque reassertion of this, like, utilitarian free-for-all for money. It's hard to see the focus on capitalism as, like, the white knight and also understand that it's, like, subjecting a lot of people to suffering, (laughs) and actually limiting their access to freedom. So to me, it's like the big lie that it's actually helping. And it's also the wedge upon which these people keep getting elected. So to me, it's baffling that the narrative around, you know, like hard work and reward is generating massive like redistribution of wealth and that it's happening without people understanding that's what's happening and in fact voting for that to continue 
I just think that the hard work stuff has dropped out and it's just like we're entitled to the power. And if you don't vote for us, we're just going to take it. So right now there's a slow moving coup happening in Brazil and it's all brown shirts that are going to probably coup in the state and take it over for the fascists. And it, there is a worldwide fascist movement that is resurgent right now. And you see all of the anti-Semitism being broadcast in Florida. Anti-Semitism is a canary in the coal mine. It is connected to anti-blackness. It is the vernacular of fascism and this is a really really politically destructive moment i think that there are some silver linings you know i'm trying to be very optimistic about the union organizing that's happening i'm thinking a lot about starbucks and amazon workers and how howard schultz at starbucks is trying to sabotage all of the stores that have unionized within Starbucks and about what that says generally about Starbucks and its politics, but also bigger than that. I mean, and it's around fucking coffee beans, right? Which is really, we have the relationship to coffee that we do right now because of colonialism and disenfranchisement and the fact that the U.S. sent military in to go coup Latin America. But I think there are some bright spots there where unions are having a moment that only matters if like the NRLB isn't dismantled though, you know? And so I'm thinking about that next to the fact that the Supreme court is going to hear the affirmative action case of dismantle affirmative action. And that seems like a form of sabotage, even though I think most race scholars would tell you that the affirmative action case law isn't necessarily the most ideal, right? That it's, that it was part and parcel of the political moment, which emerged, but there is no way to read this moment without thinking through how the judiciary is dismantling the progress of the 60s on voting rights or on affirmative action or on Roe without understanding its deep commitment to a 1950s conformist militarist state. I mean, it's interesting to think about the unionization because you also have to think about the work that's been done to prevent unionization from happening over the last... within the Democratic Party, especially within the Democratic Party, perhaps? Yeah. I mean, the interests that have worked against unionization and convincing workers that it is not the best path for them, I mean, is a definition of sabotage, right? And so the fact that there are efforts that have like been able to surpass the lobbying and the money and the threats that have prevented unions from springing up at places like Amazon much sooner that are anti-worker. The turnover at Amazon alone, average like span of employment is like six months because it's such a tough place. Um, abusive. It's abusive. Sabotage is about normalizing abuse. And it is also about normalizing extraction as the mode of relation between one person and another. You know, hearing people talk about extracting labor or extracting value or extracting worth is all sabotage language. I mean, talking about labor like as the bottom line or labor as a liability, yeah. you know, yes. I feel like that's kind of the way that it's framed a lot. So it's like if you want to create shareholder value then you have to reduce like the labor liability on your books in some cases and thinking about like who your audience is, what companies are for and who they should benefit. Like all of that weighs a lot into this. I think most workers 
are, I mean, there's a certain amount of PR that's generated in order to disguise what's happening, which is that most companies are built to benefit their shareholders and not any other stakeholders, including the consumer, including the employee, and especially not the employee. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's worth thinking about the relationship between sabotage and health, like health of the worker, health of the employee, health of the society, health of the democracy. And I say that because I'm thinking a lot about this, like you're on your own attitude towards COVID and like this plague that we continue to live through and about how devastated the healthcare system is because it's for profit and it's about extraction. And it's, you know, the major healthcare systems are run by religious organizations and I'm just thinking a lot about how for-profit healthcare sabotages health and wellness and well-being and democracy, because I think that we're about to live through the consequences of that in such a brutal way, where the risk is distributed more widely than it has been in probably 100 years And yet it will still disproportionately harm and sabotage poor communities, communities of color. And I think that that's intentional sabotage. So what does it mean to read for-profit healthcare as intentional sabotage of communities? I think the hardest part of that is the victim blaming. So I feel like, you know, if you have health issues, then that's your fault. Like, why didn't you quit smoking sooner? Why are you obese? Even though there are a lot of issues with healthcare that aren't any individual's fault and like denying them affordable healthcare. I mean, it should be illegal. <laughs> yeah, it's a crime against humanity. Yeah. If for private healthcare is a crime against humanity, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. And so I feel like there is a degree to which like people get accused of self-sabotage and people feel like they're self-sabotaging when they have poor healthcare outcomes or if they have poor outcomes in the workplace. And I feel like there's a lot of like self-help culture around this sabotage when it's actually happening at like <laughs> a much larger scale and you're not sabotaging yourself. You're just like held to impossible standards or you don't have access to healthy food at your income level or you don't have access to like um, an equitable, you don't have a fair shot at work. Like there are all of these. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, well, why are you self-sabotaging when, and this is, you know, a lean in thing uh, where it's like, well, you're just not trying hard enough. (laughs) Like you're sabotaging yourself by you know, not showing up at the table and doing the things that the men want you to do. And so I feel like that's kind of like a big grotesque part of this. There's like a cycle of like shame and self-blame, you know. I do. And I'm thinking, you know, we're living through the end of Roe and about how Dobbs is about sabotaging maternal and infant healthcare and about how it's about sabotaging low-income communities and about this moment of dismantling participatory democracy is about directed sabotage that then gets read as gaslighting, right? It produces gaslighting and it gets read as individual choice-making. And I think that you're right that sabotage operationalizes state power, institutional power, as individual choice making because it's convenient for the aggregation of power. It's convenient for them to say, 
you made the wrong choices as though everybody has access to the same choices, right? Regardless of income or class status or education or race or blah, 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 blah. And it's just not like that. So for me, the hardest part in thinking about sabotage is A, how many people participate in sabotage as their only politics, and B, how deleterious this political moment is for getting people to invest in community building in light of how much sabotage is happening, and C, understanding how stratified the power is right now away from freedom and liberty and equality and justice. I mean, it is really, it is an intensely oppositional moment to those things. And that's not to be all like Pollyanna, like America is like some free, equal fucking place. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the monstrosity of the sabotage right now is so next level compared to what it looked like even in the 50s. And you saying, you know, exposing the white knight, all I could think of was the Knights of the Klan, right? And about how the white knights are fundamentally about sabotage. And now they're, they're running government at the highest levels in many respects. So I think the way that managerial liberalism has always run is under the projection that all of the gains of the 60s were permanent. And I just don't think that there was enough offense to expand liberalism, certainly from the center, from the Democratic Party. And now we're in this place where I don't, I mean, I think obviously voter turnout is going to be huge in this midterm election and a lot of new voters have come to the table and blah, blah, blah. I just don't know if it's too little too late because the sabotage is so huge and it's in every aspect of our lives and it's much easier to destroy things than to build them. I have to wonder, like, who does this benefit? Like, the saboteurs, they're miserable. Donald Trump is miserable, is he not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, he is not a happy man. No. Like, almost no one who's exacting, like, sabotage at these political levels is happy. So, like, it's like a Russian... Right? Yeah, I mean, I guess they they must be because it, I they're not happy, but they have pleasure in producing pain. There is no doubt in my. I mean, I've worked in politics my entire adult life. They find deep pleasure in being agents of chaos and by exacting pain. I think it's also like a alpha maybe mentality where it's like, yeah, I, this isn't the best outcome for me more miserable than I would be if I didn't like try and top all of these other people. But I came out as the alpha. So <laughs> that in itself like is self-sabotage, right? Like you give up what would be better, like friendship, <laughs> you know, care, like, care. Yeah. Authenticity. Like there are a lot of sacrifices you give up just to like come out on top, which is not the reward that it's made out to be. Yeah. I'm thinking about Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter as his cell phone. What does it mean to fillet yourself to the tune of like $44 billion loss? Like that's what you're going to, that's how you are going to feed the ego is by like losing so hard. I'm sure that he's delighting and freaking out the libs in about owning the public square, right? There's, there is pleasure in that failure for him, even if it's just like, look at me, I did an unpredictable thing that the people didn't want. 
So I agree that it's like, you know, about dominance and topping and about a script, a really broken, shitty script that we have got to replace. These are miserable people. And what does it mean that we're going to let the miserable people make all the decisions? We follow their lead, too. We allow ourselves to be miserable, like, to the same end because they've created the framework for it. They're parroting like this aggro of like, where have the men gone? Oh, shit that's circulating like the right TikTok social media space. I mean, people see that and then pursue the same shit that makes them unhappy. Yeah. You know? I mean, I watched the insurrectionists at the Capitol on January 6th and I'm also watching them all lose their appeals in court, right? Like they wanted to feel good about making history and they thought they were going to win and they did stupid, terrible shit. And also they're not wrong. They did feel pleasure and they did make history. I don't know. I mean, I don't do enough like neuropsych stuff. And by enough, I mean any to think about where the dopamine hit is in political life right now, except for punishing. And I think that's why we're seeing huge numbers of local and state and federal measures to increase cops which is just going to facilitate the transition of fascism faster if Brazil is any indication. And of course it is. That's why we're seeing the misappropriation of funds and these CARES block grants to go towards new prisons. That's why we're seeing bond initiatives to expand the carceral state. People have decided that the only thing that makes them feel good is fucking up other people. It's sick and super twisted, but it is the fundamental psychology of this death grip of power that the boomers have is like this degenerational resentment. And I got to tell you, and you know, I'm teaching this class on the 60s this semester, and we read all these readings, and students read all these readings about how anxious the post-war period was, not just because of nuclear anxiety, but because all these social roles had shifted because white chicks got money and the suburbs happened so the city wasn't the center of life. And it was so anxious. And the way that people talked about public culture in every kind of media, from periodicals to TV, was the language of hyper-anxiety. And they were trying to manage it. And I, I got to say, this is a hyper-anxious moment. And the people in charge, as you're saying, are neurotic about their power. And they're not good stewards. It's not ethical stewardship. It's not participatory. It's anti-democratic. They're lonely, sick fucks. And they're in charge of all of the money and all of the TVs and all of the radios and the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury and, and, and. It's terrifying because they are miserable and they, they have total control. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like a preservationist impulse. They attain some sort of what they think is power and are just like clinging to it desperately. It's a very like house of cards. Oh, Um, I went much. I went Tolkien. I'm like, they're all dragons hoarding their gold, right? They're just jealous and insecure dragons hoarding their gold. But that part, I feel like we're all on the same page about. When you and I talk about leaning back, we're all like, oh my God, this is so fucked up. But the other side of it is that people are emulating it in their everyday life as though they're like transferring their agency to Trump and back. That's not even just among the MAGA people. Democrats get into this too, right? Where they're like acting in similar ways because that's the mode of power that we're seeing produced. It is fucking boring. It's unplayful. It's violent. And I think it's trickling into people's interpersonal relationships. Maybe trickling isn't the right verb because it's always been there. It's always been present there. But I feel like people are accessing it in different ways. And it would be very interesting to see 
for me, if we get to a different place in terms of our collective consciousness about what citizenship is, what democracy is, what community is before we have just this total like ecological meltdown and political meltdown, or if we can't get there until it's a total break in culture, because obviously I would prefer it to be sooner than rather than later, but I just don't know if people can do the shift in their self-concept to be able to disaggregate themselves from the impulse to punish, whether it's paddling in schools or punitive grading or attendance policies or like brown shirts and cops and police shootings and mass imprisonment and criminalizing dissent. You know, I mean, I think it moves pretty fluidly between the institutional and the interpersonal level. So when I think about whether or not people are personally sabotaging themselves, the only real question to me is, are you chasing control of other people? Are you trying to control their time? Are you trying to control the outcome of your relationship? Are you trying to control their affections? Are you manipulating them? Right. Because self-sabotage and relationship sabotage are based on control and manipulation and low levels of social violence and sometimes high levels of social violence. But that's what they look like in the one to one, you know, family, church, workplace. From a perspective of can people stop sabotaging? It's hard for me to see that, especially like with the, the Democrats as a model, because <laughs> like, you know, we talk about. Come on, that was a very lead, Laura. <laughs> we, should, we should have left the episode with that. <laughs> I mean, like anyone who wants to stop self-sabotaging or sabotaging other people has to like come to terms with like risk. Yeah, yeah. You know, as so we've always talked about like accountability as the frame, but like accountability maybe is creating a sabotage too, because people just are afraid to lose whatever agency that they have. How do we get politicians to be willing to change the status quo? I mean, it's like a comfort thing. I feel like it's I, habits. It's a ha- just habits and scripts. Yeah. They, yeah. Can't be, they don't feel creative enough to flip the script because the same people have been in power for so long. But I, this idea, like the Democrats are doing it, is the frame between the liberals and the left because the liberals are like if the left criticizes us they're sabotaging and the left is like you're doing it to yourself you're just punching yourself in the fucking face over and look at us go right look at us go center look at us go right center punch in the face punch yourself in the face keep punching yourself in the face it's exhausting to watch them continue to fail on the messaging and the framing and the actual politics row is a winner run with it oh you're not gonna run with it then you're mm-hmm. gonna lose some of these fucking races you did that to yourself that's a self-inflicted wound totally an unforced error totally an opportunity you miss. It's exhausting to watch it all the time. So it's no wonder that people are like, I don't know, like obviously sabotage is the way to go. Look at all these people. They're doing the dangling the carrot thing too. They could codify abortion rights, but you have to vote for them in the midterms and oh yeah, and then they'll do it. Or Even though they never have. <laughs> Even though they have refused to expand right. reproductive justice. It's like, but you had the House and the Senate and the, the last, yeah, yeah, and you didn't do it that. But if you vote for us in the midterms, how does that not sabotage? Like they're going to lose the midterms because they didn't fucking do it. The same thing with like decriminalizing marijuana. Could have done it, but we'll do it if you vote for us in the midterms. But like you're sabotaging yourself because people maybe would have voted for you if you had acted. If you had- yeah, it's a temporality thing. And, you know, I will say this, somebody who works in politics, not all political moments are equal. However, if your internals are like everybody wants to decriminalize weed and you choose not to do it, there is no reason. You have the political cover and you have the public will to do it. That's your job then to craft the messaging. So I just feel like 
it's understandable to me why people do not want to get emotionally or like invested resource wise time or money in politics because it is so it's all cruel optimism all the time. And obviously people are like, you're an asshole because you're a pessimist. And I'm like, really? I feel like I'm being like, I feel like I'm being honest about how things are. I don't feel like I'm like, everything is all, you know, the sky is falling, but when the sky is falling, it's fucking falling. We are surrounded by Nazis. Look at all the anti-Semitism. Look at all of the anti-blackness. Look at all the pro-cop stuff. I mean, this is a fascist political moment. That's not Lisa was a pessimist. And so she brought it into being because she told us that it was going to go this way in 2007, which of course I did scoreboard. But anyway, all of that is to say that what if America is a saboteur, right? Like colonialism is sabotage, a third worldism and our relationship to the global South as sabotage, and the military industrial complex is sabotage, atomics is sabotage. The American dream. Yeah, we are exporting sabotage, right? Blackwater is sabotage. I mean, come on. So in some ways, I feel like it's worth thinking through like, how am I sabotaging my own relationships when I know better and choose not to do better and treating the people who are around me with kindness and compassion and care in ways that build durable solidarity in community. But on the other hand, maybe it's possible that they can't help it because it is the reflexive functioning of power in the West and certainly in the U S I mean, there is no way to view American power as somehow not narcissism. And so if that's the case, then all American flex is sabotage, self-sabotage and sabotage the other. It is the thrill of empire is sabotage. I had a good friend who is Indian who went to Britain for the first time. And I was like, yo, though, the British Museum in London is like the most fucked up place I've ever been. And she's like, why? And I'm like, who steals Cleopatra's body and just like keeps it? Right. Who just keeps the Rosetta Stone as though it like magically appeared in London. And she went and I had this like two hour phone call with her. because She's like, this was so crazy. You're totally right. And I'm like, right. So, you know, most of the culture work that we're doing is also sabotage. It's the result of sabotage. It's the result of theft. It's the result of violence. It's the result of horrific excess. I so mean, moving away from sabotage, I think, requires like a lot. I mean, we haven't had a like robust social movement in america in 50 years yeah i mean that is by design i mean the left would say occupy and that's both true and untrue black america would say blm and that's both true and untrue i think that you're not wrong in saying a real movement but movements are one that's made minority one that's made policy impact did occupy make policy impact i think not not (laughs) Yeah, but movements fail. That's why they're movements and not the state. So, you know, success and failure is maybe not necessarily the right framework. The thing I want to think about is process verbs. I want to think about movements as reorientation, right? How do movements reorient our attention, our feelings, our time, our resources? There's no doubt we would not have unionization in Starbucks and the Amazon right now without Occupy Wall Street, for a fact. We would not have all this DEI stuff expanding in a conversation about black inequality without BLM. We wouldn't have a conversation about why hunting trans kids is fucking wrong if it hadn't been for the homophile and gay liberation movement. So, you know, I hear you on a very practical material level and also 
The question is, how do we reorient people away from sabotage and towards connection and not do cruel optimism, not have them get invested in objects of attachment that are fundamentally going to harm them? Right. Like whether it's heterosexuality and marriage or monogamy or whether it's capitalism and, you know, a job that's a calling instead of just wage labor. It has to be something more robust. And I think the failure to orient our politics around freedom, um, I mean, certainly in the Democratic Party as a language, but also as a goal and probably on the left has been where that has broken down, where the sabotage is enough, sabotaging the GOP's ascendancy to the White House in 2020 was enough or whatever to feel good that one is sufficiently political. We have got to reorient people's attention to other things. And it's not just voting, even though voting is necessary but not sufficient. How do we reorient people's feeling about building together? It's very hard to do in a fascist moment where people are paranoid and only want to do punitive stuff. But they're not fucking and they're not talking and they're not laughing. And the pandemic has undermined all those things exponentially more. And that is how you overcome sabotage is play and laughter and physical connection and joy and care. There's not like some other way to do it. So we have a a broken healthcare system where care is not happening. And we have a bunch of unhappy people who don't want to connect with one another. How do we turn that ship around? 